Tapping the Keg Daily is live. We are talking about the Green Bay Packers' first preseason game. We Do we have hot takes or do we have good takes about all the things that happen in game number one for the Green Bay Packers? We'll talk about the Brewers finally taking advantage of a bad team. We'll look ahead to their very difficult week as well, touch on the relocation stuff, and then we'll explain why the Badgers' weaknesses that they have might not actually be that bad. So we'll uh, we'll get into that uh, and everything else. Before we get going, just a reminder, social media, Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. TikTok has been awesome uh, over the weekend. I'm sorry for those who are on my TikTok that I didn't have a lot of content on Saturday and Sunday, unfortunately, for and actually on Twitter too with the reviews. Unfortunately, right when uh, the Brewer games were over, were just bad timing. I was at my parents' house uh, celebrating my birthday and my father's birthday, and I don't usually do reviews in front of my parents, uh, just because it's like one of those things where it's like I don't know how they'd feel about their now almost 35 year old, well actually 35 year old son, uh, birthday is tomorrow. Uh, be just yelling into his phone um, and then saving my in-laws uh, who came right when the Brewers game was just about wrapping up on Sunday and then I was going to do some content and by the end of it with a bunch of house stuff it was I was wiped uh, so that and that's part of the reason why we are having a early podcast but so apologies for that uh, hopefully that doesn't continue uh, hopefully we have good stuff to produce for the people going forward Make sure that you are also subscribed to this podcast, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. If you are subscribed, drop this into the group chat, man. That's we really would appreciate that. Uh, that's how you know things get shared is group chats, you know, different things. We would love that. Um, so please do that. We we appreciate it, whether it's you know on your you know iMessage or it's like Instagram or something like that. Send it along to a buddy who might enjoy our content. We greatly appreciate it. And let's get into today's show talking about the first Packer preseason game. Do you know the Packers scored the most points of any team in the preseason through week one? Now, that is nothing to get that excited about. That to me is a great hot take, right? Where it's like, oh my God, this Packers offense is going to be unreal because they scored 36 points in a preseason game. No, that to me is a hot take. A good take might be, you know, what Jordan Love did. And we're going to talk about that right, really in a second. So to set this up, it's basically like overreaction or proper reaction. But I I feel like proper reaction doesn't have enough juice on it. So that's where we get hot take or good take uh, coming from. So there are hot takes. I think after every preseason game, everyone's going to overreact about different things and think about, you know, what a team might be or what a player might be. It's more player-based than team-based, right? Because you don't know what teams are going to have all their guys. You, you're going to see the players sort of shine through. You had the Justin Fields thing over the weekend where Justin Fields was three for three for 129 and two touchdowns. And you're like, oh my God, like does Fields MVP, you know, book it, the whole thing. And then you look at the passes and it's, they're basically dump offs. And DJ Moore made a bunch of great plays against a bad Titans defense who was their backup defense, I believe. And then Khalil Herbert did the exact same thing. To the proper take, the good take, from maybe that is the Bears have playmakers all over the field. I think that is a fair take with Herbert and 
more. They are clearly upgraded from last year in terms of their playmaking ability. Herbert, to me, is a lot better of a running back than what you had with David Montgomery in terms of, you know, dynamic uh, but at the same time, I do think you will worry about the injuries because he is a small running back. He has that little bit of that Aaron Jones, but even smaller than Aaron Jones. And so you worry if Herbert's going to be able to make it for a full season. But against the Packers, which is week one, that's not going to matter. And so I, I think seeing the playmaking ability of Herbert and more, it's more that to me is more the take. But and that feeds right into you know what we're talking about here with the Green Bay Packers. And I don't want to spend too much time on this on the Chicago Bears, of course not, because fuck them, right? <laughs> but seriously, uh, in terms of hot take or good take, obviously got to start with Jordan Love, and Jordan Love looks the part of QB one. That is a good take. I think Jordan Love had seven passes, ten or seven for 10, 46 yards. Uh, he, to me, it, he looked like nothing really phased him. He didn't look nervous. He didn't look, you know, uncomfortable in the pocket. He looked like he was running the system that he's been running for the last three years and seemed perfectly at peace with it. He did not seem like rattled at all. I felt like Jordan Love really played well in this in, in the first game. And to me, that that's a huge sign. And and I know like the Patriots defense next week is going to be difficult. They are one of the best defenses probably in the NFL. So that is not going to be easy for Jordan Love out the gate. But still, I, I think that this is a solid step forward and this is a solid, you know, sort of progression of what Love could be and what Love might be as a quarterback. And there are going to be misses, right? He missed Luke Musgrave right over the middle. And, and that was one where he definitely should have got him. And, but that's going to happen, right? They're not going to be perfect. He's not going to go out there and be 28 to 28 with two touchdowns, 250 yards and 40 yards of rushing. Like that's just, that's just not going to happen. Okay. And so I, I think when the, the misses happen, you have to understand that like, that's part of football and we, we're not going to get perfection every time. I think Jordan Love looks competent. I think that is a good thing. I think that's a solid thing going forward. I think that one more preseason game is probably good enough and then wrap and bubble lap. I don't know if he needs to play all three. I'm perfectly okay if he just plays against the Patriots and gets a familiarity of Lambeau Field, which will likely be rocking. You know, he has not played a game at Lambeau Field. Remember that. Like, his when he's come into games, he's always been on the road, which is a weird sort of subplot of the Jordan Love season. He, you know, was obviously in Kansas City, was in Detroit for Week 17. He was, he came into that Philadelphia game in Philadelphia. So he's played in two of the tougher stadiums in all football with uh, Kansas City and Philadelphia. But still, like, I, I think that's an interesting thing where it's like he's going to need to get his feet wet. He gets to play under the lights. The game's at seven, I believe, on Saturday. So you, you'll get sort of that love experience at Lambeau. I think the crowd will be rocking for him. Even though it's a preseason game, I still think you're going to get a lot of energy towards Jordan Love. I think there's a general excitement about this Packer team this year and Love has, plays a huge part of it. Car number two, Carrington Valentine can challenge for CB3. That's a hot take. 
All right, let's we can settle that down. Uh, Carriage Valentine had an awesome game uh, in week in preseason game number one. Uh, Valentine really looked like a productive corner. Uh, was you know made plays, had an interception. You know was coming up to make tackles. He was all over the field, and that is a really good sign. I think watching Carrington Valentine, you wonder how this guy fell to the seventh round. And definitely, I think the good take of this is the Packers could have a draft steal, have a guy that could contribute. You know, day one. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it'll be too much for him to be the fourth corner right out the gate. But he's going to challenge Shamar Jean Charles for that role, right? Uh, Kishon Nixon is maybe the fourth if Eric Stokes is healthy. I would imagine Eric Stokes goes on the pup. So for that first six weeks, I think you're going to need a guy like either Valentine or Gene Charles to be your fourth cornerback. And I think Valentine, you know, right now has the edge. Gene Charles has not had really a good camp so far. And Valentine is the seventh rounder that's making noise. I think we all thought it would be Anthony Johnson Jr., uh, the safety out of Iowa State, and it's not. It's Valentine. And he. it's clear to me that this guy, it, it, there's something here. And yeah, maybe you can't challenge for CB3, but if Valentine is actually a guy, that the Packers secondary or the corners, maybe not, you know, because safety, it's, it's always an issue. But their corners are maybe some of the best in football, right? Uh, if you have Jair, Rasul, uh, Eric Stokes, Kashawn Nixon, Carrington uh, Valentine, that, like, that is a stable. That is a really talented cornerback uh, group and really makes it hard on sort of the vertical, you know, ability of some teams. So I, I really like that. Jaden Reed is ready to be a productive wide receiver for the Packers. I think that's a good take. Uh, Jaden Reed looked awesome. Uh, Jaden Reed, you know, was very comfortable with Jordan Love. He also had some nice plays with Sean Clifford. And I, I really thought that Jaden Reed has a, you know, he has something there. Uh, and I think the senior bowl guys were saying, like, he was one of the better senior bowl players that we had. He contests everything. Like, he had a great 50-50 ball catch. Like, he, and he had a comment, like, he thinks every 50-50 ball should go to him. Uh, he's definitely unafraid out there. They ran him on a jet sweep, uh, which I thought I really like. Actually, it was a pass. I think it was one of those pop passes uh, from Reed. And, and so they, they've already adapted some creativity to what Jaden Reed's role can be on this Packers roster. And I, I, I really like that. And I really think that they aren't going to miss a beat. I think my concern earlier this year, you know, with like, wow, they're so young a wide receiver. They need a veteran wide receiver. I've sort of got off that drum. I was beating it earlier, you know, this summer. And I think that now seeing Reed's product production, it, it like makes me think, okay, they're all right. Like Reed's ready to go. And maybe that because he was a senior, because he had played in college for a while, played in a system that is more pass focused than I think some other Big Ten schools at Michigan State. Like I, I thought maybe they're like, all right, we think this guy's ready to go, you know, game one. And, and they were right. And so that makes it a lot easier about the youth of this, you know, receiver group, which we talked about a lot. Like you'll you'll hear that, you know, from Burkhardt and Olsen in week one and whoever does the Packer Falcons game and whoever does the Saints game, like you're going to hear that all early on this season. And if they're awesome early, then it won't be an issue. And if it's a problem, then they're going to be like, well, you know, they're, you know, they're going through sort of the rookie challenges or the young, young receiver challenges, but whatever. So I, I like, I think Jaden Reed is a guy. 
Packers will be okay at kicker. Hot take. Uh, I know. Uh, Andrews Carlson really struggled, you know, in that first preseason game. And, you know, something that Mitch and I wondered about heading into the game that, you know, Carlson, he has not had the best camp. It's been sort of up and down. I am really hesitant that Green Bay is going to trust a rookie kicker out of the box. I understand that Rich Passaccia has some weight that Rich Passaccia has been able to sort of dictate certain guys and he's hit on some, you know, Keyshawn Nixon is a great example of that. But I, I do wonder, you know, when, how long before there are tryouts? How long before they bring somebody else in? Mason Crosby's still available. The Cowboys, you know, kick, uh, caught, I think, both of their kickers uh, this year. Where do the Cowboys go to Mason? You know, obviously the familiarity with Mike McCarthy. Or do the Packers say we're bringing him back and we're signing Mason to a deal? We're getting rid of Carlson, you know, just eating that draft pick, if you will. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that Green Bay needs to bring in some competition. So whether that's a veteran like Crosby or another young guy, I don't think you can go into the season with Carlson right now. And maybe that's a little bit of an overreaction. Maybe that's a little bit of a hot take. Uh, but I, I just think there needs to at least be some competition because I don't, I don't trust that he's going to be ready to go week one, especially in Soldier Field, right? That is not an easy place to kick. Uh, that is certainly not some place that you want for your first game. I realize that that's just the hand you're dealt, but he's he's got to be better. Um, and he has two games, obviously, with the Patriots and the Seahawks. But I, I would appreciate if Packers, you know, don't sort of rest on it. And we've seen this before where Green Bay sort of waits till the last minute and they're like, oh, shit, this guy's bad. And we've the leash has run out. So I, I hope that that is not the case here for the Green Bay Packers because I think they at least need some sort of kicking competition, you know, this week. I think that would really, really help them, really benefit them, you know, for the remainder of training camp. All right, let's continue to move on with our hot take or good take. Brenton Cox will make the 53-man roster and be a contributor. Good take. I think we all sort of liked Brenton Cox in terms of the undrafted free agents. Uh, he got kicked off two teams, uh, Georgia and Florida, but the talent was there, right? He played at two SEC schools. Uh, the talent was certainly there. His dad is Brian Cox, so he has an NFL pedigree. Brian Cox was a crazy dude uh, in the NFL, you know, kind of a loose cannon. His son, obviously, still a loose cannon. But if Green Bay can figure out how to rein it in, uh, he could be a good player for them. And it seems like Cox, you know, had a good first preseason game. Seems like there could there is a role for him. There's a space for him to, you know, make that roster and be on the 53. Because I feel like if they don't get him on the 53, somebody else will take a chance on that talent. And someone will look at it and say, all right, unless he does something that gets him in trouble, like he is going to get an, another opportunity. And so we'll see what happens in the next you know couple weeks you know here with the Patriots game and the Seahawks game but I think Cox is going to find himself on on the roster especially as you're trying to ease Rashawn Gary back I don't expect Rashawn Gary to play in the preseason uh, I think with you know the Soldier Field turf and then the uh, Astro or not Astro uh, the field turf that you deal with in Atlanta I do think they're going to be a little bit more you know hesitant to give Gary 75% of the snaps and you're going to need more guys off the edge and I think Cox you know you can send him on some of the you know 
plays on third down and you know a, a fat he's very fast and having him you know running around chasing Justin Fields and Desmond Ritter for that matter Fields obviously a lot qu- more quicker than than Ritter like I, I think that's a great add for the Packers so I can see Brenton Cox making this 53-man roster I don't think that's a hot take at all maybe him being a contributor is a bit of a hot take but I, I still like what they have there Sean Clifford is a starting quarterback in this league that's a hot take I I will say this I was very impressed with Sean Clifford. Uh, I thought Sean Clifford played really well. Uh, I couldn't believe that this was the guy at Penn State I watched for a ton of years, right? He was on the Van Wilder team for sure in football where you always seem to watch Sean Clifford. Uh, But I I felt like he, you know, was competent. Like he definitely, you know, drove the ball down the field. I know it's against the Bengals second Second unit, he he looked the part. He did throw two interceptions, one being a pick six, uh, so, and, and that's sort of the bad part, right? Clifford made a lot of mistakes at Penn State, and there's those are still present. But it, he definitely you know looks like a solid backup quarterback, and that's probably why they released Danny Etling. Is they they felt like they had something with Clifford, Alex McGaw. You know they're like, well, it's probably more of a practice squad guy for us. Uh, if they want to keep three quarterbacks. And so Clifford, you know, looks comfortable enough and definitely an interesting subplot when you think about next year even because, you know, Jordan Love, if he struggles, I think they are going to get a quarterback. But would that that mean that Clifford, they'd move Clifford or would that mean they'll just go with three quarterbacks or what would happen there? I'm not sure. I don't think I could say he's a starting quarterback. I don't think I could say he's QB1. I saw a bunch of Packer Twitter uh, or like certain members of the Packer Twitter were making it out like that. A bunch of white guys were saying, oh, Sean Clifford, you know, is QB1. And I'm like, maybe like guys with like four followers or guys who are just being trolls. Like, I don't think there's any sort of like racial undertones with wanting Jordan Love to su- like to not succeed or something like that. Like, I think that's crazy. Uh, so I just get the fuck out of my face with that. I, I think that is like, again, you're a little too online if that's how you feel because, or if you see one comment and you're like, oh, the, all these racist Wisconsin people want uh, Sean Clifford at quarterback instead of Jordan Love. No, I don't, I don't think so. I do think, yeah, maybe there'll be people, if Jordan Love struggles, be like, oh, maybe give Sean Clifford a try. Like, but that's just dumb overreaction shit, right? When Rodgers struggled, people were like, oh, let's get Jordan Love a try, right? So I, I just think that's more people being dumb than people being racist. So like, let's, let's not try to weave race race into the quarterback competition that isn't there there isn't a quarterback competition let's not weave it in just because it looks good on twitter and you get a bunch of retweets all right i I repost not retweets anymore uh and x so apologies for that uh emmanuel wilson will challenge for rb3 i think that's a good take uh tyler goodson was in a sling, uh, was not practicing. He had a shoulder injury. So that opens the door for potentially Emmanuel Wilson. And it seems like Wilson is a little more on the A.J. Dillon side of things than an Aaron Jones. Uh, he is a little bit of a bruiser. Uh, but it, he could potentially, you know, fill that role that Patrick Taylor has. And, and Patrick Taylor has been a... I wouldn't say a constant contributor, but a guy who, when he's been asked to fill in, he's done his job, right? And he's been a good blocking running back. He's, you know, had a few moments here and there. I just wonder if that role will go to Wilson. And then I wonder if Goodson, you know, is on the outs. I love Goodson. I think Goodson's a really good player. I think Goodson, you know, I wouldn't say would replace Aaron Jones, but does some similar things as, as Aaron Jones does. And so that would be a bummer if they were like, yeah, we're going to release Goodson and we're going to keep Wilson. But 
if Wilson outplays him, like you can't can't ignore that. Uh, I think he, him or Carrington Valentine certainly have the Jeff Janis, Jared Averderis preseason overreaction award in terms of like, oh yeah, this guy could be productive for us, you know? And and look, and that happens every preseason where you see a guy and you're like, oh my God, he's going to be, you know, a constant contributor for this team this season. And it's like, no, he actually gets released like week four. Or he's like, he, you'd barely see him you know, the first six weeks of the season. And that's just preseason. Uh, My example that I always use, it's not from football, it's baseball, is Brooks Conrad. Uh, For the real ones who know, Brooks Conrad had an awesome spring training. Uh, He was this utility guy, the Brewers guy. He played for the Braves previously. And he was just great in spring training, like was hitting the shit out of the ball. And then he came up to the big leagues and he went 0 for 31 before getting DFA'd. So that to me is all, I always keep the Brooks Conrad example in my head when I'm thinking about guys who like show out and like, I'm not trying to shit on Emmanuel since day. I mean, I know with his father passing like 14 days, 14 years, pardon me, uh, to the date, like that was a big moment for him. But it, it's just, you keep it in mind that yes, there, he was against guys who were you know, third, fourth stringers. And so maybe you know, that's part of the reason why. But I still think Wilson's going to get a chance now with the Goodson injury. You know, he goes up the depth chart, especially if Goodson, you know, the shoulder injury is significant enough where he can't, he can't play against the Patriots. And if he's in a sling, I think that's it's probably a bad sign, right, for his shoulder injury. So we'll just have to see. Speaking of injuries, Tyler, Tyler Davis's injury means the Packers need another tight end. I, I think that's a good take. I know that some are high on Austin Allen, you know, a Roz score guy who was like 6'7", but there's really, you know, sort of an uncertainty about him as a blocker, um, and they don't, they're don't they not sure if he can do it. Uh, Josiah Deguerra had moved to fullback. Uh, they had sort of made him a fullback instead of, instead of being a tight end, and now it seems like Josiah is going back to tight end. He's really more an H-back, but I, I think if you feel like you can get the blocking production that Davis gave you because he was probably the best blocking tight end they had then yeah Josiah Deguerra is is fine and you can fit that in and then Allen sort of is your depth at tight end for Kraft and Musgrave uh when if they were to go down uh and you have Henry Pearson at fullback who actually had a pretty nice day uh in the first uh preseason game as well I, I don't know maybe you're able to make it work but I would still look for a tight end uh whether it be Max Williams who was a blocking tight end uh, for the Ravens and the Arizona Cardinals, whether it was Richard Rodgers, uh, you know, obviously former Packer, another good blocking tight end, slow is an absolute shit, but can block. And so I, I just wonder if, if they go to the well and do sign a tight end before uh, their first or the second, excuse me, uh, training camp or preseason game. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. We'll certainly see. Um, I it's a bummer on Tyler Davis. Um, I. I've given that Tyler Davis a hard time in the past because I was like, wow, they've they've invested a lot. I think they kind of hoped that Tyler Davis would be this sort of breakout guy, this sort of, again, another undrafted gem. And it's a bummer that he you know, tears his ACL. And obviously the road to recovery on that for a pass catcher is, is tough. And to have an ACL injury, you know, first preseason game, it has to be brutal. I, I couldn't imagine uh, it really like any sort of significant injury before like you know the first quarter of the season's over is just a t- terrible one like that just those those are the ones that really really bum me out so 
hopefully he's recovering and surgery everything goes well and you know we'll see what the Packers do at the tight end position let's move to the Milwaukee Brewers who had themselves a great weekend sweeping the Chicago White Sox the Milwaukee Brewers had had some issues you know last week where they couldn't really take advantage against bad teams three and four against Pittsburgh Pirates and the Washington Nationals. They had bad teams again this week with the Colorado Rockies and the Chicago White Sox, and they went 5-1. and one. That is exactly what you hope for. The Brewers know that they have a very tough road trip upcoming here with the Dodgers and the Rangers, and they're in the midst of it now 3-0 on this road trip, and they really took advantage of it. They built sort of you know some house money. We talked about it on, I think, Thursday's show with Mitch about how, like, if they could if they could at least get a sweep here you build in like all you got to do then is win one game in in LA one game in Texas and you have a 5 and 4 road trip like you still like, i i realize you lose two series in that in that example but it's still a 5 and 4 road trip like you could still be happy about that right and so I, I also think it gives you a lot of confidence. You come in hot against an, a Dodgers team who also has taken took advantage of the Rockies. They swept them over the weekend. So you come in at least you know kind of warm. You feel good about your team. You know that this is a challenge. You know this is a team you could see potentially in the NLCS. So or NLDS, pardon me. So like you know that this this is a great barometer. This is a good sort of heat check for you to be comfortable, to know this environment, to understand, you know, you're going to get sell crowds. It's the middle of August. You know, everybody, you know, loves Dodger Stadium. They draw really well. I think it's one of the best attended, you know, ballparks in the country. So you, but you've built sort of this equity now and you feel a little more loose. Like you don't feel the pressure. I felt like when you were watching that game on Monday, going all the way back to Monday, and I was there at that one, and they were really pressing early in that game. And then Trang's home run sort of unlocked everything, and they, you know, and then they opened the floodgates. They win twelve to one. The Brewers had really did have a week that they needed, and and now they're three and a half games up on the Cubs and the Reds, uh, and that and that's a huge sort of you know thing to watch as as it goes on. If the Brewers could be really successful here against the Dodgers and Rangers, that could make for a very, very, you know, opportune thing for the Brewers to pull away a bit and take over the NL Central. And let's start, you know, kind of work our way back, kind of recapping the weekend. Start Sunday, and then we'll work our way back to to Friday. Uh, Sunday, Freddie Peralta, not as sharp as he was, you know, in his last start against Colorado, but still really good. Uh, still had, you know, sort of this second half Freddie that we've seen. Uh, I thought that he... You know, candled, you know, a couple, a little bit of adversity, but was competent enough to, you know, get the job done, keep the game at, you know, the number it was where it was the, you know, it was what, two nothing for the Brewers. So it wasn't, he didn't have a huge lead, you know, kind of like he did yesterday uh, on Wednesday or Monday night, excuse me. Uh, so six innings for Fred, four hits allowed, three walks, six strikeouts. In 103 pitches, uh, and Council, you know, let him out for that sixth inning uh, after a kind of shaky fifth. You wondered, you know, are are we going to get another, you know, another inning from Fred? And he did, and he, he pitched well, well enough to, you know, keep keep scoreless ball. His ERA is now down to four four oh eight. I realize ERA isn't the only thing, but this is a really encouraging sign 
for Peralta. I think a big test here, you know, coming up, playing the Rangers. I think he pitches on Saturday. Uh, and that's that's going to be a huge test for Freddie Peralta because this is now the, that'll be the first, like, good team that he's faced, you know, in this stretch that he's been really good. He struggled against Atlanta, remember? And so he, can he keep the focus, can keep the concentration against a good team, you know, like the Rangers, who also are a very good home team as well. So I can Freddie do that. Uh, that to me is going to be a great sort of heat check game to kind of see if this second half Freddie thing is legit. And, and I, I think it is. And I think Freddie has definitely, you know, bounced back this season. But I I, I do think that game is is important. And I, it is a good sort of temple thing to keep in mind. And I realize, you know, things starts to go off the rail and it's not entirely indicative, but still just something to keep in mind. Also uh, from Sunday's game, you know, Brewers get some insurance runs at the end uh, with Carlos Santana hitting that three-run homer in the eighth inning preserving the bullpen. Uh, the Brewers were able to get two more runs than in the seventh inning, uh, or in the ninth inning, excuse me. And and that t- was huge. And for them to, you know, be able to pull away a little bit uh, was massive. You know, JC Mejia did his best to try to make it a game <laughs> in the ninth inning. It was really shaky. I'm not sure if JC is long for this, this ball club, but I, I really, you know, that, that is something that has been lacking this Brewer team this year is just the inability to sort of add on. And they definitely did on Sunday. And that was truly important, you know, and, you know, you're able to preserve Piamis, you're able to preserve Devin Williams. Those guys, you know, get a little more time off and get ready to be pretty much a fresh bullpen for Tuesday's game against the Dodgers. Maybe your rebay is the only one that can't go on Tuesday. But other than that, like they they're they should be fully ready to roll, you know, heading into a Dodger series where you might have to rely on your bullpen a little bit more than you did, you know, this weekend against the White Sox. Uh, as for Saturday, uh, really just one inning. Right, uh, Jesse Schultens uh, was solid. Like he, I, I could argue he outpitched Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he was really good uh, for six innings, but the White Sox let him in for an inning too long. Classic Ron Renicky move by Prager Grafal, uh, and the Brewers were able to pick up on that slider. Uh, Tyrone Taylor, you know, has a big double to bring in the two runs. I know he's only hitting 183. But I, I really have liked some of the swings from Tyrone Taylor. I'm not ready to just completely bail on Tyrone Taylor. I know Jesse Winker is, should be up soon. Um, I would not send Tyrone Taylor down. I would certainly keep him up. And I would just DFA Winker. I don't know why they, they haven't already. Uh, and, I, and his August so far, he's hitting 273, uh, 6 for 22 with 5 runs, 2 uh, doubles, as well as 2 home runs, 7 RBIs. Uh, for Tyrone Taylor and for only four strikeouts uh, in that time. So his OPS in August is 9, 941. So I, I have no qualms about Tyrone Taylor continuing to be sort of a rotational guy in this lineup. So I uh, really clutch hit. And then you had the, the, the guy they called Mr. Clutch, William Contreras, you know, with the go ahead knock. Uh, and that, that's been William Contreras' game all year. It seems like whenever the Brewers need a big hit, William Contreras is there. And that's been really a huge highlight of the season is just the how good Contreras has been in those moments. And I think, I can't remember really a guy, maybe Ryan Braun. Like, I know that I'm not trying to compare the two, 
But I, I'm trying to remember the last Brewer where it's like when there was a runner on second and third, you knew that he was coming in if this guy was at the plate. And, I, and Brawny was the last one that where you always felt good about that. You always felt, okay, Ryan Braun has two guys on. Like, that's trouble. Yelich, I guess, had that in 2018 and 19. And Yelich still has some of that today. Uh, he had a big, big knock on Sunday uh, with runners in scoring position. But, like, I, I think for Contreras, you feel even better than you do with Yelich right now. And, yeah, Contreras just continues to impress that deal. I mean, God, Matt Arnold, you know, getting Contreras and Piamas from the A's is an app was an absolute steal. They're two of the most productive players for the Brewers. Uh, Devin Williams shutting the door in the ninth inning. He gives up a hit to Moncada, and then he strikes out the side. Uh, and he struck out the side in back-to-back games. He was great on Friday too, uh, which gets kind of underrated. And we can move into Friday here in a second. But like he, like Williams struck out the side was unbelievable in that ninth inning, and it was a tie game at six. And it gets lost because Uribe has this awesome ninth inning or tenth inning, and but like Williams was so good this weekend, uh, and he's big good. Uh, and you know, there's really no Cy Young this year, right? The NL Cy Young race is really sort of fractured. Zach Allen hasn't been the part. Spencer Strider he pitched well in the game on Saturday against the hapless Mets, but Strider hasn't really been that good all all throughout the year. I actually think, and maybe this is a conversation for Mitch and I, like when do we start having the Devin Williams for Cy Young conversation? He's a closer. I understand it. But if you think about all the close games the Brewers have won, they're 24 and 10 in one run games this year. He's blown two saves uh, for the year. Like when do you, when do you at least say, all right, there is no good pitchers in the NL in the National League. Why not Devin Williams? And for a Brewers team that is winning a ton of close games and he is directly the reason why the Brewers are winning all these close games. I just, I think, at least think there needs to be a conversation about it and, and need to talk about it. So I don't know, maybe that's something for Mitch and I to uh, get into later this week. Uh, speaking of which, Friday. So it, even though it happened long, you know, kind of long ago uh, at this point, I felt like so much happened in this game. I thought this game was nuts. This was one of the better Brewer games of the just the season. Like, I think if we were ranking games, like this was an awesome game because... A, you got Brian Anderson on the call, which is was a treat, right? That he did some road games. I guess he's kind of back doing road games. Sounds like he's going to do the Texas series as well, uh, which, it, it, which is great. Uh, anytime you get Brian Anderson, it's a delight. You know, one of the best in the biz. It was 5-2. Brewers were trailing. Uh, Corbin Burns really didn't have it. I guess he, you know, had a little bit of an injury. Uh, they say maybe he might miss his start on Thursday. Uh, they might push Burns back. I don't. I doubt that they would bring Woodruff up to pitch on Thursday and then Burns on Friday. Uh, that would be a little bit, you know, intense. But I guess maybe with the day off, Woodruff would be okay. I just a little risky about that with him just coming back from a shoulder injury. You know, what I think Colin Ray is still no. They, they sent they sent Colin Ray down. So I don't think they have a guy really available for a spot start. They'd have to obviously make a move to get Colin Wright up if they needed a spot start, which I would not feel great about against the Los Angeles Dodgers. But you would set yourself up for Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta again for the, the Rangers series if that were to be the case. So we'll we'll see. Uh, but regardless, the Brewers offense picked up Corbin Burns, and that was great. And I, I think when you can pick up your ace, who's been really good, uh, until this game, this was Burns' first real struggle uh, since sort of you know finding himself again. 
you know, and, and that's going to happen. Uh, you know, you're not always going to be perfect. And we kind of saw it a little bit in that Pittsburgh game. And we saw it again today. And so uh, Burns, you know, giving up five runs, but then, you know, having the team pick them up. You know, they score they score four runs in the sixth. Unfortunately, Piguero, you know, struggles again. And that's a little bit of an issue. I, I, I just wonder, you know, does Elvis's role need to be sort of taken down a notch, especially with the emergence of Abner Uribe? Are you, you know, able to say, all right, you know, it's a combination of seventh inning guys, whether it's Uribe, Hobie Milner, I think has done enough to prove himself in that high leverage spot and Pagera. And you just look at those three guys and you just play the matchup and you kind of, and you not only you play the matchup, but you also rotate them in a little bit. Uh, so yeah, the Brewers are able to win that one in the seventh or in the 10th with Mark Canna having a double that scored Bryce Trang, second straight 10th uh, inning RBI for Mark Canna. He had a really good weekend too. Like that should not be lost. It's Mark Canna really played well uh, this weekend. He didn't start in the game on, uh, it was that Friday, but he had a good weekend. He had, I think, three hits on sat on Saturday. And then I think he had another couple on Sunday. So good, good stuff from Mark Cannon. He was three for two, two for three on Sunday against the White Sox. And, oh, he actually, he had two walks. So he, he didn't actually have a hit on Saturday, but he had two walks. He scored a run. Uh, we'll take, we'll always take two walks. So yeah, Mark Canna starting to put it together a little bit. Uh, and then Santana, obviously with that home run was a huge thing. So as we discussed, big week, we'll certainly talk about it. Uh, our last sort of bout with late night baseball this year. Uh, and yeah, Brian Anderson, uh, speaking of him, ripped the Dodgers for three straight night games. I didn't realize how brutal that was for the Brewers, but that's another huge part of this where it'd be really great for them to win either Tuesday or Wednesday, also birthday. Like that'd be a nice gift for me uh, for the Brewers to win uh, is the fact that uh, they play Thursday night. They then have to go to Texas right? So that's not an easy flight, right? It's not like going from LA to San Francisco. They go from LA to Texas. That's like a two hour, probably two and a half hour flight from LA to Dallas. Then from there, they get probably into their hotel room, six o'clock. You lose two hours because of you're going from Pacific to Central time. Then you have a night game and the Brewers will be ragged. Um, I, I don't know. That one on Friday, you just hope for the best. And then on Saturday, you have you have an afternoon game. So you don't even get a full sort of day to reset. Uh, so hopefully we do get off on Monday. So that's at least they got that going for them. But yeah, that, that could be a really difficult stretch there from Thursday to Saturday. So hopefully they'll be all right for that uh, and make the most of it. They're professionals. I, I'm sure they will. But and I'm not trying to build in excuses, but I'm just saying, keep that in mind if uh, they struggle this week. So we'll see, but huge task for the Brewers this week. Um, I think they're up for it. They seem to play up to opponents um, and, and let's see if they're able to do that. Let's wrap up today's show with the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, just kind of keeping a closer eye on them as we get closer to the season. We're three weeks out pretty much uh, from the Badgers' first game against Buffalo and the start of the Luke Fickle era. Um, and one of the things that I've found interesting, you know, kind of reading through, you know, people noting stuff is the Badgers have ways to address their weak spots. Uh, it seems like their biggest depth issues at this point are the cornerback position and the tight end position. 
Uh, cornerbacks, they really have two. And then their nickel guy is a redshirt senior who's kind of getting a chance to play, uh, Jason Mitri. But after that, it's a complete drop-off. It's a bunch of freshmen. It's There's just not exactly a ton of depth there. So yes, by the middle of the year, if these freshmen develop into something and become players that that could help you know, the Badgers and, and that maybe some of this is mitigated, but at least at the start of the year, they have some secondary problems. They're they're not necessarily that deep at the cornerback position. And the same goes for the tight end position. They really don't have much at tight end. You had Clay Cundiff uh, retire from football yet, uh, over the weekend because of injuries. So you lose the tight end there. You have Jack Pugh, you have Hayden Rucci, uh, the redshirt senior. So like you have a couple guys but you don't necessarily have a bunch. That said, I think what the Badgers are doing on both sides of the ball actually is okay in terms of that being their depth problem because they have very talented wide receivers, they have very talented wide receivers, and so they can sort of mitigate some of their problems. And I think that's really important to think about if you're worried about this. If you're sitting there thinking about, wow, we really don't have depth at the cornerback position and we basically don't have any tight ends. It's like, well, there are ways around it. There are ways to fix that. There are ways to sort of say, all right, we can make this easier on everybody. With the talented safeties they have, whether it's Hunter Waller, whether it's uh, Latu, whether it's Tremaine Blaylock, the six-year senior, like they have three really good free safeties. Like you could play multiple safeties. They have a two, four, six defense where they have all three safeties out there uh, that Mike Tressel's running. Like, that's a great way to sort of say, all right, yeah, we don't have corners, but we have good safeties and we can play a bunch of zone. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of zone defense uh, from the Badgers because of that cornerback issue where it's like, we don't want to get these guys exposed. We don't want to put them on islands. We want to make sure that, you know, they have coverage, that whether it's a cover two, whether it's cover three, that we're, we're going to have it. Now, granted, modern day offenses find, you know, those pockets. And that's part of the reason why you see more sort of man-to-man defense because, you know, offensive offensive offenses have gotten very smart on that. But, you know, the Packers, and not to always use Packers and Badgers when you're comparing, but they they use, you know, some cover two principles that really help them. So I, I do think that having those safeties there will sort of, you know, quell some of the problems for what they have at corner. And that's not to say that like Holloman and Alexander Smith aren't bad corners. Like they're not. It's just, I just don't know exactly if those guys are, you know, the premier cornerbacks that you've seen in the past from the Badgers. The Badgers, you know, have had very talented cornerbacks, you know, throughout, you know, the Barry Alvarez era. And so it's maybe not to the level it used to be, but still it might be okay because of the safeties. And then for the tight ends, you know, Longo can run a lot of, whether it be four wide or three wide with two running backs and bring in Allen and Ches Malusi and sort of run sort of that pony, you know, when you split shotgun style, like I think they're going to be okay. Like I think not having a tight end will be fine for the Badgers. I, I, I think that, you know, Jack Pugh, you know, young guy, but can do enough there. And I, I think that Hayden Rich, Rucci is a, a solid blocking tight end. They, they could be okay at that position. Um, and it, it might not be as big of an, an issue because of the ability to sort of use your wide receivers. And because they have very talented wide receivers, better wide receivers than maybe they ever had under Paul Christ 
or Barry Alvarez or Bart Bielema for that matter. Maybe not. That might be a little bit of a hot take going back to our earlier segment. But still, like, they have a ton of receivers. So they're able to sort of, you know, quell some of those fears that, hey, we don't really have much at tight end, but it's okay because our, our offense really isn't as tight end based as it used to be. Uh, I think in the past, that would be a real issue for Wisconsin. But because there's not as much of a focus on tight ends, I think it'll be okay. And you still have Jack Poo, you still have Rucci, you still have guys. It's just a matter of, well, what happens if they get hurt? Uh, and that's always the fear with college, right? When you don't have the depth, it's not like you can get a guy off the streets. Well, you could walk on, but like a walk on at Madison is going to be a lot different than say picking up a Dominique Daphne. I don't know if he's even on a roster, uh, but uh, for the Packers or something like that, right? Like it, that's, it's just totally different. So I do think the depth problems for Wisconsin will not be as much of an issue as maybe some might worry about, uh, and I think they'll be okay. So we'll we'll have to see, um, and definitely something to keep an eye on here if there are some injuries early in the Badger season before Big Ten play. Real quickly, before we end the, end the show, I did want to touch quickly on the James Harden comments in China. James Harden basically called Daryl Morey a liar, said he's not going to play for Daryl Morey. Uh, he wants nothing to do with Daryl Morey. There was obviously a promise made to James Harden when Harden took the deal. And Maury lied to him. And now the Sixers are in complete hell. And I can't, I can't like it anymore. Uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, as a Bucks fan, this is what you want. Uh, you just want to kind of hang in the weeds and let everybody else have their drama. And it seems like the Sixers have a ton of it. So I have no idea uh, what Philly's going to do with James Harden. But he's clearly done uh, with the Sixers. That's something else. All right, that does it for us. We'll be back tomorrow. Birthday pod. Uh, you have to listen. It's my birthday on Tuesday. So I will have a podcast that day. We will uh, have a conversation. I don't know what. Uh, we certainly will do some life. I'm always reflective on my birthday. Uh, but we will uh, we will have a show on, on Tuesday. Uh, and then on Wednesday, we'll take off. And then Thursday. I don't know if Mitch and I will be back Thursday or Friday. Uh, we will have a show Thursday and Friday. But... I might see if Mitch wants to do Friday because of uh, the with the Brewers having two, not playing Tuesday th- Tuesday through Thursday. We've we've kind of got lucky with the Brewers recently, where we'll tape Wednesday night and they're already done with their series for the week, so we can kind of talk about it. We don't really have that luxury this week, so I'll, I'll see if Mitch you know wants to push it back. Um, but we'll uh, keep you guys updated there. And yeah, podcast tomorrow. You gotta listen because it's birthday. So that's that's the rules. Uh, all right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Monday and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.